south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. This show today first goes out on Sunday, December 24th. So, Merry Crimble, and a hearty ho-ho-ho. A nice, clean ho-ho-ho, too. Not in the ho-ho-ho reggaeton or rap sense of the term. By the way, speaking of ho-ho-hos, I won't tell you which kind. If you can, listen to the very end of this show, because I got a very interesting boots-on-the-ground story. Hope we can get to it today. If we can't, we'll do it next time. I'm telling you right now, you'll never hear these kind of stories anywhere else. But first, an email from Lester, living in Portland, Oregon. But he says right off the bat, not for long. He plans on getting out of Dodge, he says, in the upcoming New Year, 2024. He says, Dear Johnny, you're talking about collecting rainwater on occasion and how in Latin America you can just do it. There are no restrictions. Nobody cares. Nobody bothers you about it at all. I know this sounds like a little thing, a picky thing to even bring up. But in certain U.S. states, you can get into big trouble for just collecting your own water. By the way, if you're living in the States, have you looked at your water bill lately? If you look at your municipal water bill, you just might have a stormwater runoff fee tacked to your sewer or water bill. That seems to be the latest tax scam they're laying on us. Oh, and in my state, I just read if you have an electric car, they'll be adding an additional tax for that too, because you don't buy gas and you don't pay gas tax then, right? I don't know about you, Johnny, but to me, that was one of the incentives to buying an electric car. No gas, no gas tax. And people, family members mostly, wonder why I want to get the hell out of Dodge. He says, I get shocked at least once a year here in Portland, Oregon, when I get my bill and see my stormwater runoff fee is just over 89 bucks a year. The question being, what the hell's a stormwater runoff fee? And why is it 89 bucks a year? Who came up with that figure? Does that mean if I could stop that stormwater from running off my property, I won't have to pay the fee? The irony is you can't catch it. You can't use your stormwater runoff, but you get charged a fee for it every year. Now, you might say, so what? Pay the 89 bucks and indulge some government idiot bureaucrat's fantasy. You can't fight City Hall, and believe me, you can't. But those kinds of government fees popping up out of nowhere will become more of a frequent occurrence now that governments are broke and bankrupt. I promise it will piss off people like me enough to get the hell out. Finally be the straw that breaks the camel's back in many cases. In fact, in my brother's city, his town, the water utility sends out a quarterly bill and $30 of the $60 quarterly bill fee is their version of the stormwater runoff fee. And he tells me that even if he shuts his water off, that is, he uses zero gallons of water, he still pays 120 bucks a year, even if he boards up his house for an entire year and turns off all the utility. So my brother's about had it too, and he wants out. So we're both getting the hell out of Dodge. You know, Johnny, I've been thinking about this a long, long time. This regressive tax makes it impossible for me to believe there's any kind of incentive to save water. 
you know, to be a so-called good citizen and conserve more water. Make an effort. I keep thinking, what's in it for me? There's no incentive at all for me to save water when they still charge me a runoff fee. If government utilities were smart, which they're definitely not, if they removed that fee, that fine for stormwater runoff, and perhaps double the cost of water usage itself. Now, that would provide the incentive to conserve and save water at the tap. But politicians live to increase fees, create new taxes, and increase their power base. And as for me, he says, the straw has broken the camel's back. In a few short months, I'll be out of here. Anyhow, Johnny, I didn't give you my real name. You know why? Because I collect rainwater, and it's against the law. I'm a criminal, an unrepentant water thief, constantly stealing water from my land, from my roof, from my gutters. It's a huge fine in many states, like Arkansas, California, Colorado, Georgia, Illinois, Nevada, Ohio, Utah, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin, with more states to be added soon. You know what, Johnny? I must have criminal genes in my family, in the blood, because my brother's a water thief, too. He lives in Colorado and says, the government. He said he's grown to hate Colorado, where he's only allowed to capture 110 gallons of what he calls the king's water per billing quarter. Yep, in medieval times, the water you collected was considered the king's, as was the air you breathed and the food you grew on the land. Yes, it appears we're all serfs living in medieval times once again. Johnny, that's why I'm not using my real name, because both my brother and I are breaking the law. But not for long. We both have our places up for sale, and we're getting the hell out of Dodge. In the meantime, I might as well let you know how we're doing it. How we're stealing what's actually ours, our own water. You can make an underground cistern connected to one of your roof's downspouts. Just run one of your downspouts from the roof straight into the ground clandestinely. It must be a PVC downspout, though, because below the ground anything else will rot. Then you can collect all the f***ing water you want. Now, to build the proper-sized cistern and connect the downspout, just go to YouTube. There are dozens of cistern assembly videos there. It's just a do-it-yourselfer's weekend project. Put it anywhere you want, underground, in your backyard. Just don't put one of those obvious big old cisterns on your roof or have a bunch of 55-gallon drums placed near the downspouts around your house. Those would be dead giveaways to the water patrol. By the way, Johnny, the most important reason to collect rainwater, besides getting over on those a-holes in government, happens to be the fact that there is no chlorine, fluorine, or other chemicals added by municipal water treatment plants. However, the question has come up. What about the water quality coming off your roof if you've got asphalt shingles? After all, shingles are basically petroleum products. Well, my brother and I were curious about that, so we did some research. And we're happy to find out that recently published in the academic journal Water Research, they examined the effects of conventional and alternative roofing materials on the quality of harvested rainwater. Exactly what we were looking for. Then he sends me the link here. I'm looking at it right now. It says, a study led by civil architectural and environmental engineering professors at the Institute for Water Research showed that of the five most common roofing materials tested, that would be galvanized metal, a metal called galvalume, asphalt shingles, fiberglass shingles, and concrete roofs. The study showed that metal and concrete tile roofs produced the highest rainwater quality. In other words, concrete and metal roofs produced the cleanest water runoff. 
The study also showed that rainwater from asphalt and fiberglass shingle roofs, increasingly popular so-called green roofs, contain high levels of dissolved organic carbons. Not good. I wouldn't want to drink that water. Not coming right off the roof, anyway. No great problem, though. Just filter it. You know, in a recent previous show, I was talking about gravity filters and why you really need to have one around the house. Like one of those stainless steel Berkey filters, which I think is way too expensive, around 400 bucks or so. I much prefer the Dalton stainless steel gravity filter. It's pretty much exactly like the Berkey filter, only about half price, 200 bucks. Now, if you're located in Central America, you could skip those stainless filters altogether and get yourself an Echo filter. They're a great little gravity feed countertop unit available at most big hardware stores in Central America for between 50 and 100 bucks. But you knew that already, right? Anyway, you use a gravity feed water filter with any water you're going to be drinking. That includes any rainwater you're collecting from the roof. And it'll remove all those dissolved organic carbons, dirt, dust, other contaminants, including PSAF plastics, those so-called forever plastics. Those disgusting contaminants you've been hearing about lately in all the media outlets. As if they've just popped on the scene now. Something new. Well, I hate to spring it on you. But that's why I've been talking about water filtration ever since I started this show some 12 or 13 years ago now. But you weren't worried then, were you? You didn't buy a filter. Because after all, it was just that loudmouth Johnny guy babbling about it on his radio show. After all, you weren't hearing it from some official government agency or some anointed all-star media hack liar like Dr. Falsey. But I digress as usual. By the way, you longtime listeners have probably heard me talk about my own underground cistern, 5,000 gallons or so. In my case, the rainwater was running off a painted concrete roof. And the paint, of course, is petroleum-based. It's not actually paint. It's much thicker than paint when you apply it, more like a paste and leaves a thin film over the concrete roofing surface, almost like a layer of rubber. It's advertised as a waterproof barrier to be used over any concrete or block surface. And man, down here in Latin America, where you have all those flat concrete roofs, they use that stuff everywhere. It's pretty good stuff, too, and has a guarantee of 5 to 10 years, depending on the manufacturer. The problem is, Latinos are very, very bad about preparing surfaces before they paint them or applying that kind of waterproofing. In fact, I've seen Latinos who are supposed to be painting contractors paint right over mold and dirt. And hell, even then, the paint will stick for a while. By the time it starts peeling or breaking down, the painting contractors are long gone. Details, details. This is Latin America, you know. So when you're starting any kind of project like that, you really have to keep your eyes open. By the way, talk about Rube Goldberg. In my downspout, leading to the cistern, I've got a lady's nylon. Attached to the end of the main downspout tube that feeds into the cistern. So then you might ask, why did I do that? Because it removes or collects or traps all the accumulated junk and leaves and spiders and critters that may be on your roof that tend to wash right down with it in the next downpour. Oh, and just think of all the birds that land on your roof and start pooping away. Then again, maybe it's better not to think about it. Hmm. Still wondering if you should get one of those gravity filters? Sounds like a plan, right? Oh, and by the way, if you don't have the time, the money, or the means to dig out a big cistern in your backyard, you can still, you know, collect all the rainwater you want here in Latin America anyway in 55-gallon drums. Just set them up right next to your downspouts. 
Which then does beg another question. What about mosquitoes breeding in that thing? Because, you know, that's what they do. They breed in open expanses of water. And as it turns out here in Latin America anyway, most people who collect water in rain barrels don't have the top covered. So if you're going to use that method, just go on YouTube. They show ways to seal a rain barrel with the downspout tube connected to it. So it's always filling. Then when filled to the brim, there's an overflow tube, which you can use to automatically fill another rain barrel and another and another and on and on, depending on how much water you want to save and store. Or you can divert the excess water to the earth again. Oh, just one more thing. I told you Lester sent me a link to the Oregon and Colorado state water collection laws. He sent me the Utah state water collection statutes too. I'll read just a bit of it here because it's quite interesting. It says, Utah state law allows rain catchment storage of up to 2,500 gallons a year. That's Utah code 73-3-1.5. It allows a household to collect up to 2,500 gallons a year with the following qualifiers. A household can collect and store rainwater up to a certain amount and not register with the state. Oh, big favor there, huh? As long as you have no more than two covered storage containers, and neither of them must have a maximum storage capacity of greater than 100 gallons. Hmm, so what does that really mean? You can collect 2,500 gallons a year, but you're only allowed two containers of no more than 100 gallons each. That's 200 gallons. Man, what kind of government retards come up with that shit? By the way, it says right here, Government officials do come and inspect. That means they've actually got, in Utah anyway, a sort of rainwater police force. Which, once again, begs that age-old question, how's your plan B coming? You know, on a related issue, I just got this email from Dave number 26. He lives in New York City. He says, Johnny, I'm coming to your March 2024 seminar. I'm a newly retired house builder. And as much as I love America, and I'm a fifth-generation American, I can't take it anymore. I'm getting the hell out of Dodge for good. He said, when I was in the custom house building business, one of the favorite things to do was to build a custom hearth or fireplace. But as of 2022, building authorities in San Francisco, New York, Denver, and a lot of other cities forbid the construction of new fireplaces. Even if you build one and no one ever uses it, you're not allowed, unless it's one of those cheap, chintzy, fake electric log jobs. And in some areas, he says, the prohibition extends to wood stoves. Can't even have one in your basement or garage. And wood burning is prohibited in existing stoves and fireplaces on certain days called spare the air days. Johnny, I'm not kidding. Spare the air days. I've seen some of these laws, Dave says. They're calling for fines of 100 to 500 bucks per violation, though Native Americans are exempt. So chestnuts roasting on an open fire? Forget about it. <laughs> You'll be shamed and labeled an eco-terrorist. Better make sure when the fireplace police spot the plume coming out of your chimney, there's a Native American in the building. So again, how's your plan be coming? Meanwhile, there's so much bad news coming out of Mexico, I don't know where to begin. I know, I know. Tens of thousands, even millions of you guys have gone to Cancun and Tulum, you know, the Mayan Riviera. Had a beautiful, trouble-free vacation. The problem is, though, when gringos and expats decide to live there, decide to have a plan B in Mexico. It seems so easy. Just pop right across the border and you're there. 
Now, you know, ever since I started this show 12 years ago or so, I've never recommended Mexico as a good place to have a plan B. Yeah, great place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. The question I have for all you guys and gals who are planning to move to Mexico. Have you been reading the news lately? Every single day, it's murders, kidnappings, beheadings. Entire groups of people are getting bumped off. Lately, we're hearing about dozens of people being killed or kidnapped. Even grade school kids and teachers and wedding parties. You know, it used to be, a few years back, it was always gang on gang, and you thought, well, this is never going to happen to me. Though, once in a while, a gringo or a local gets caught in a crossfire. A rare and unlucky break. The problem is, now, gringos, you know, with your dollar sign on your head, you are fair game, too, and occasionally become the target. In fact, there's so much bad news and crime coming out of Mexico, it's not much of a big deal anymore when you see it in the first world media. It's like inflation. It's always there. You get callous to it. In fact, I'm looking at the first world news that just popped up on the screen. and Something out of Associated Press, it says, A group of people were turned away at a Mexican Christmas party. They returned to the party angry and with guns and killed 11 people. Yeah, you know, that kind of news just doesn't affect people that much anymore, does it? Will that kind of news stop you from having your honeymoon in Puerto Vallarta or Cancun or Tulum? Nah, will the disappearance of 20 school kids ruin or make you postpone that vacation to Cabo? Nah. The question really is, though, if you're really serious about having a plan B when you get to your stated country, most likely you'll rent for a while, but you're going to want to buy eventually. You'll scope out the real estate and see it's a lot less expensive than investing anywhere in the States or Canada or Europe. So buying is the logical choice, the logical move, right? Here's the thing. What most gringos and expats fail to consider is what that place where you're going to invest is going to be like in three, four, five, even ten years. It's so easy to have blinders on when you're in the tropics and you're looking at a beautiful beach all day. That kind of stuff clouds your judgment. You know, expat Eddie said it's like being married to an extremely beautiful woman who's got lots of personality defects and character flaws. Some of them fatal. Many guys will stay with a girl like that forever even with all the pain and hardship it brings, because they're just suckers for a pretty face. That's what Mexico's like, a pretty face with fatal flaws. Then again, if you live directly on the Gringo Tourist Trail, you can isolate yourself and remain in a perpetual Gringo expat bubble. Hey, it's going to be first world expensive, but if you got the money... But then again, if you're not money bags, maybe you're just a straight middle-class American guy or gal... Maybe even an older American retired on a social security check. In that case, it's very improbable you'll be living directly on the Gringo Tourist Trail because it's just too damn expensive. That's one of the main reasons middle-class Americans get the hell out of Dodge in the first place. They know when they retire, they'll never be able to have that kind of lifestyle. So they go to Latin America. Almost always, well, 95% of the time anyway, to Mexico. And let me tell you, middle-class Americans who get the hell out of Dodge and move to Mexico, they don't live in Cancun. Oh, they would if they could, but it's first-world expensive. Most gringo tourist towns are. So instead, they locate themselves away from the gringo tourist trail, where rent and food are cheap, and there's more of a natural, local, laid-back flavor and vibe to it. But let me tell you, just lately I've been getting more and more emails from people, frustrated, even scared people. From middle-class gringo expats with a plan B living in Mexico off the gringo tourist trail. They're telling me terrible stories about the increase in crime and gangs, violence, extortion, and the works. 
The kinds of things that rarely happened a few years ago, except in the narco border towns. Though now it's spreading all over Mexico. In other words, there's a lot of pent-up regret out there from gringos and expats who moved to Mexico, who now are thinking about a plan C elsewhere. Whether they're going to be able to pull that off or not depends on what kind of nest egg they have, what they've got left over. Because, you know, many of them have bought properties. When you notice, little by little, things around you are getting worse. And now they're getting a bit scared. They saw the writing on the wall a few years back, but we like to think maybe things will turn out okay in the end. We all come down as optimists. No one likes change. Remember how hard it was to get that plan B going and finally end up down here in Latin America? Imagine going through all that, spending a few years settling into your new plan B destination, only to find out in the short run it was great, but not the right place to be in the long run. Anyway, like I said, gringos and expats with a plan B in Mexico are sending me emails saying, man, this maybe was not the right thing to do. Just to drive the point home, here's an email from longtime listener Bob from Oaxaca. He says, Johnny, Here's yet another indicator of Mexico's slow devolution to violence and state impotency. Chiapas, the border state with Guatemala, has always been a problem with poverty, violence, etc. However, just recently, new turf wars between rival cartel factions fighting for control of drug and human trafficking routes has spilled over in a terrible way to the local population. For example, recently a small army caravan was wiped out in a surprise ambush by armed men just east of Comitán. But there's been a new level of creepiness since that happened. According to an article in the local San Cristobal Post, apparently road bandits kidnapped a party of four folks from a restaurant in Chiapas, Mexico, on one of the more well-traveled roads. And one of the victims has been found beheaded with a crude note attached. Bob says, I've driven this road many times myself, and it's given me the chills. He says, I'm going to put the kibosh on recreational trips to Chiapas for a while. Then he sends me the link to the article. Pretty depressing. Tell you what, if I lived in Mexico anywhere off the Gringo Tourist Trail, I wouldn't be sleeping well at night. And how about this email from Kenny living in Distrito Federal, that's Mexico City. He says, Johnny, have a look at this article. I've had a couple of Mexican and a Gringo friend who was scammed this way. He sent me a link to this article titled, Mexican cartels are accessing databases used by the government to select victims and monitor them in real time. And I'll paraphrase to cut out the boring parts. It says, if you think your WhatsApp messaging service is secure, think about this. Criminals in Mexico are sharing intelligence and security software through WhatsApp, which is a platform that everyone in Mexico is linked to. It goes on to say cartels are using police databases along with WhatsApp to hunt down extortion victims and their own people in real time. It says cartels and criminals can now geolocate people through WhatsApp, through minute-to-minute location logs, and obtain private information and documents through software called Titan, which is shared and links to WhatsApp. It says various Titan services are available for purchase from 10,000 Mexican pesos, about $600, to 180,000 pesos, about nine grand. Once purchased, buyers can get their own login or an official user to fulfill requests on anyone in the system or anyone using WhatsApp. With the Titan app, you can look up anyone in Mexico. So then how is this system available to criminals and narcos? Well, as it turns out, Mexican police forces purchase licenses to use Titan themselves. 
They then resell login and login passwords to criminals and narcos on the dark web and the black market. According to an anonymous Mexican cop who is involved in this, he says, they send me a payment method to acquire the licenses. Then I resell them to whoever wants one. I know that some other law enforcement people and agencies are also reselling these licenses or services to other cartel members. He says every Mexican police department has someone in the organization who's making money on the side selling login passwords and keys. So how does the system work? Well, once you've got login information, you put in the name of the person you wish to track. It obtains all the information from a large database on WhatsApp and GPS technology will track their cell phone. Criminals then know every single move that person makes. Once you're logged in, you can access Mexican voter ID databases, credit bureaus, bank statements, phone apps, logs, emails, selfies, photos, and everything that's ever been posted on WhatsApp. Most importantly, they have access to all the victims' bank statements, credit card data, and credit bureau information. They know exactly what a person makes, is worth, how much he's got in the bank, and his credit history, so they know exactly how much they could tap him for, how much they can extort. Now, according to an anonymous Halasco New Generation cartel member, he said cartels often use the Titan platform to find their own people who've gone missing and to put out a hit on another cartel member. According to this source, you simply enter the first and last name or phone number of the person you're looking for, and you instantly receive information and addresses of not only that person, but their relatives too. So it's the easiest way to locate someone who's in hiding. In fact, this cartel source said that he believed the platform is being used more by criminals and cartels than it is by law enforcement. Hmm, all right, me Johnny here. Now that's a revolting development if I ever heard one. But haven't I been telling you guys for years now? If you're going to have WhatsApp, I know you need it if you're living down here in Latin America. Don't post pictures or bank statements or selfies or anything on it. Do the smart thing. Just use it to set up doctor's and plumber's appointments. Never put a contract or an ID or a bill or a bank statement on it. Though I know that's what nearly 100% of Latinos do. Oh, and by the way, as for me, I always make sure in my settings I never have my GPS activated in my phone. Well, I take that back. I do have Waze which needs your GPS location to work. The trick I use is, is I never turn my GPS on if I'm going to use Waze. Not until I'm maybe a mile or two away from where I live. So if anyone was to hack into my Waze travel history, they'd never be able to pinpoint where I lived. Not within a mile or two anyway. Oh, and by the way, I never use Google either. Of course, I have a Gmail. I'm stuck with that. But as for Gmail itself, I never use it, ever. That goes for Facebook, Instagram, or Dickcock. I don't have any of them. Though it is kind of funny. Once in a while, I'll get an email from LinkedIn that says, my name's popped up or someone's noticed me. I don't know. It could be a scam since I've never signed up for LinkedIn and never will. All right. We're perilously close to the end of the show. Just want to remind you once again of my upcoming March 2024 Expat Insider Seminar. It'll take place in two countries, Guatemala and El Salvador. It's the best way I can think of to fast-track your Plan B. Just go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link for all the info, the agenda, and sign-up details. 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.